So I just want to um, just want to begin by acknowledging the fact that we've been here for 24 hours. It's kind of hooray. Um, and just acknowledging also that it's not um, always easy, yeah, particularly at the beginning of a retreat. And so just really to acknowledge the, that perseverance, yeah, that's allowing us to, to be here through the, the ups and downs of the practice, yeah, through the tiredness and the restlessness and the thinking and everything else that arises. And just that steadiness of the of that continuity of just showing up, just turning up, which is something that we're doing every moment. So just to to feel if we can, um, just to to really just really a little bit open as much as possible to appreciate that in yourself, if it's possible. <laughs> Yeah, noticing what what arises when I when I say that or when you kind of bring that in. Just appreciating that, yeah, I've been I have been turning up, have been showing up the best way that, that I can. So at some point, which may feel very long ago, but was this morning, I was um, inviting you to explore the body or the breath experience and to particularly um, either breathe in a way that might feel more comfortable or tune in to an aspect of the breath or an aspect of the body experience that felt um, more pleasant, more comfortable, okay, not so bad. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, okay. So I wanted to ask at this point, it's an unusual thing to do in the hall, but I just wanted to, to, to ask if anyone found anything of interest in that exploration. So we'll begin by just that. Was there something interesting for you? Did you see anything of interest in that exploration? If you did, you can just kind of raise your hand even a little bit. Okay, a few people. Good. And is anyone, um, is anyone able to say in just a word or a sentence or just a couple of sentences what it was that you noticed that was interesting? So no pressure, you don't have to, but if anyone wants to say anything. What happened when you brought attention, yeah, to the pleasant, yes? Sorry? A softening, okay. So just with that intention to bring the attention to something that felt comfortable, there was a sense of softening. Anything else? 
an opening. Yeah. So just a sense of an opening. And, you know, if you resonate with that, you can kind of nod along with anything that anybody said. Anything else? Yeah. Okay, so the possibility to carry on and be with it, meaning the breath or body or the, the, yeah, okay, okay, so using the breath and that opening up the possibility of being with tension in the body. (coughs) Anything else? Come on, I was planning on you guys giving the talk tonight. (laughs) Just joking, no pressure. Anything is welcome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you say any? Can you say a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Mm Mhm. Yeah. So that kind of tuning in to a particular aspect of experience actually opened you to or kind of um, really kind of showed how, how the sensations are changing, how experience is changing, the changeability and the impermanence. Yeah, great. Okay, last chance. Anything else? <laughs> Everything is welcome. So we had softening, opening, capacity to stay with some sense of discomfort and a kind of a direct meeting with impermanence, with the changeability of sensations. Yeah. Through tuning in to a particular aspect of, of the breath or the body experience. Yeah through tuning into a particular aspect. Kind of just doing that and then something shifts in the experience or opens. And so I want to I wanna kind of explore a little bit more this evening um, what, what this opens up for us or what we can learn, what we can see about our experience through through doing this, through doing all the different explorations of practice that we've been doing today. So I think I, I touched on it this morning, but as human beings, we are sensitive, yeah? We're very, very sensitive beings, yeah? We have these senses that are open and that receive impact from our environment yeah all the time yeah all the time and yet we are aware at any moment we'll only be aware of some of that stimulus yeah some of that stimuli i think i should say in plural right native english speakers please correct me yes okay Good. So we're only aware, there's all of this impacting, but we're aware of just part of it, yeah? Just some of it. 
Yeah, so what is going on? So this fantastic mind that we have, one of its functions is that it is able to filter yeah, all the stimuli that are coming in. It's able to filter, to choose, to pay attention or to notice some things and not others. Yeah? Fantastic capacity, you know. If we imagine, if we just for a moment imagine what life would be like if that wasn't there. Yeah? We wouldn't be able to do anything. Anything. Yeah? So that capacity that, that we have as humans, along with that sensitivity, that capacity of the mind to, to filter. And... You know, that is what we're doing intentionally when we choose to pay attention to something particular in the experience, yeah? So we've been doing that with the breath or the body today. Yeah, we've been directing the mind to pay attention to the breath or the body, and it's been doing it some of the time, yeah? It's been doing it some of the time. Or right now, you know, you're directing the mind to pay attention to my voice and the content of what I'm saying. Yeah, so that's a kind of intentional process there, yeah, that we're kind of directing the mind. And this keeps happening, yeah, in experience. This keeps happening. This directing the mind to pay attention to certain things and not to pay attention to other things. Or someone was using this today of like some things are in the foreground and some things are in the background. Yeah, so we actually can be aware of more than one thing. Some things in the background. The body might be in the background, the breath is in the foreground. Or we've kind of made the intention to be with the breath, but somehow the breath moves to the background and the thoughts are in the foreground. <laughs> Happened to you today? Yeah, good old thinking mind. So that can also happen, and that shift can happen from background to foreground. So this keeps happening, um, and sometimes it happens um, in more and more detail, more and more subtlety, yeah? Just to kind of say that, sometimes it's very gross, very obvious. And at other times this is going on in more and more subtle levels of experience. So... We can play with this as we were doing with kind of tuning into the pleasant aspect of an experience. Yeah, we can play with this and then that impacts experience in the ways we've just heard. Yeah, so it's not just that, you know, I say, okay, I'm going to tune in to something pleasant or lovely about the breath and all that is revealed is a pleasant or lovely aspect of the breath. That's not all that is happening. Right? We just heard. As a result of that intention to tune in, there can be a softening. There can be an opening. There can be an increased capacity to stay with something unpleasant. That can be the direct seeing of impermanence. Is this clear to people? Yeah. I'm going to keep checking that you're with me. So please say if you're not, you know, it's really fine, you know, you're not failing some test if, you know, 
if I need to repeat things. I'm not failing either. So most of the time, so there's this process, you have the highlighting of something in experience and everything else going in the background or disappearing. Sometimes this is intentional, like the examples I've just been given. Most of the time, it's actually unconscious. Yeah, We're not at all aware <laughs> that this is going on, that there is some choosing or some directing of attention towards some things and not others. Yeah. And so this choice, this unconscious direction or choice of where to place the attention, and often very, very strong conditioning or very, very strong um, habits of what we pay attention to, what we look for. Yeah, sometimes to do with our own personal history, sometimes to do with human history. Yeah, it's beyond just our own personal experience. It's how, how, how our brains have developed over generations. So this is one interesting thing. Now, and you know, One example of this is um, something called the negativity bias that some of you may have heard of. You know, that our brains are actually wired to notice negative things more than positive things. Yeah. The ratio is seven to one. So in order for us in our experience to feel that the negative and positive, say, in the last meditation were balanced, seven times more positive things need to happen. <laughs> Yeah, that's the ratio, because the mind is programmed to notice the negative. So it will notice the negative more than the positive, and it will give the negative more importance, more weight. Okay, it's really helpful to know this. Yeah, really helpful to know this, that this is happening. Yeah, and it's part of our history. Yeah. Because when we, you know, when our ancestors were hunter-gatherers and life consisted of, you know, really the choice between finding lunch or being lunch, it was quite important to notice the dangers and the risks, yeah? That was more important than to notice, you know, the, the food sources or the clean water. Yeah, you had more time to find those than to run away from danger. So that's kind of how they explain why the brain functions in this way. So this is just one example, yeah, of this in the brain. Is this is this still clear to people? Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of, you know, this kind of filtering is going on all the time and most of the time we're not conscious of it. We're not aware that this is going on. And we tend to, you know, because we're not aware, we'll repeat our habits. Yeah. So if we have a tendency to um, notice what we're doing wrong, for example, just for example, yeah. or to give ourselves a hard time, yeah, we'll keep noticing what we're not doing right, except and, and not noticing what what we are doing well. Yeah. So we'll keep leaning 
into that habit. And the more we repeat it, the stronger it grows. Yeah, the more we repeat it, the stronger it grows. So again, the way the brain works is the more we do something, the body works the same. The more we do something, the better we will get at doing that. Yeah, we'll develop the muscles, we'll develop the neural pathways in the brain to do that. So this is, yeah, really interesting, really important, and really uh, where practice becomes a real uh, resource for us, yeah, because we're cultivating the sensitivity and the capacity to see, to see the tendencies of the mind, to see the impact of those tendencies, and to increase the flexibility of the mind so that we're not just operating from habit and conditioning. Yeah, we have, I said it, I think, this morning or last night, I can't remember, we have more choice of response to life. So, in my view at least, it gets even more interesting. <laughs> Let's see if you agree. Okay? So, perception, what we perceive, yeah, is not neutral in the way we take it to be. Yeah? So we think, okay, stimuli is coming in. Yeah, maybe it's a visual stimulus. I see it. Yeah, it's all neutral. I see what is there. Yeah, I see what is there. I hear what is there. I smell what is there. It's neutral. But actually, perception is not neutral, it's not objective in the way we take it to be. And there's a wonderful experiment, which I think is relatively famous nowadays. Maybe some of you have, um, have heard of it or even kind of done it on, you, on YouTube, uh, which really illustrates this. So I'll describe it. And, you know, if you know it, then enjoy the ride. So there was an experiment done by some um, psychology researchers in Harvard, I think, where um, they put people in front of a screen and showed them a short video. And they had a very simple task to do. In the video, there were um, six people throwing a basketball between them. Um, three of the people were wearing white T-shirts and three of the people were wearing black T-shirts. And people had a very simple task. The task was to count how many times the people in white threw the basketball between them. Okay, passed the part. That was very, very simple task. And people sat down and did that task. At the end of the video, they were asked how many times did they pass the ball? And, you know, they gave their answer. And then they were asked, did you see the gorilla? And half the people had not seen the gorilla. <laughs> okay? So if you haven't seen this, which I'm guessing most of you haven't, and actually, I did this, and I didn't see the gorilla. So there you go, mindfulness teacher. So when you watch it again, you notice, now you know that you're also looking for a gorilla. In the middle of this, people throwing the ball, you know, just six people, it's a small group, they're throwing the ball between them. In the middle of this video, somebody walks in, dressed up as a gorilla, stands in the middle of the screen and goes, like this, maybe even shouts, I can't remember, <laughs> and then walks off again. 
50% of average population people do not see that, including moi. Yeah. Why? Why? Because the attention is focused on counting the ball passes between the players in the white t-shirts. And if that's where the intention is directed, that affects perception. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. So we don't see something that is really so kind of clear and dramatic. Simply don't see it, doesn't register. So perception is not objective and it's not neutral. Yeah. It's affected by the intention, it's affected by the mind. So again, we're not, it's not, there's no neutral eye. Yeah, neutral or objective, that is paying attention to neutral or perceiving neutral or objective phenomena. That's the way we take the world to be. And it's useful some of the time. But there's more to life than that. Yeah? There's more going on than that. So the perception will be affected by you know, what I'm trying to see, what I'm bringing attention to. It will also be affected by my views, my expectations, my previous experience. Yeah. It's affected by countless conditions that are at play. It's a very complex, intricate thing. It's also affected by things like the weather. Anyone felt tired today? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anyone noticed the weather today? A little bit heavy? Yeah, some pressure? We are affected by that. Yeah. So perception will be affected by things like the weather. It will be affected by, you know, how much we had to eat. Um, it will be affected by our social conditioning. So many things, internal and external, that are affecting how we perceive the world. How we perceive the world, how we perceive experience, how we perceive ourselves. So perception is shaped. It's um, I kind of recently have been thinking of things like it's being put together, yeah? Created or shaped or made up of many, many different conditions that are at play. And experience is shaped by perception, so it too, yeah, it too is being impacted, co-created by many, many conditions that are at play. And in Dharma language, I mentioned this this morning, in Dharma language this is called fabrication, fabrication of experience. I don't know if you remember 
I said this morning feels like a long time ago, but um, I was reading a part of a sutta, and in it, um, I think it was saying, um, breathing in, sensitive to the whole body, she calms bodily fabrication. This word fabrication, which means this co-created, yeah, put together from different things, shaped by different things, by different conditions. So I want to just kind of explain maybe fabrication a little bit more um, and give, give a really simple example, you know, pain in the body. For example, um, knee pain. Yeah, so maybe experiencing some tension in the body, maybe experiencing some pain in the knee, and that may seem like a really straightforward concept. Yeah, my knee hurts. When we start looking in more detail, we see that we are using concepts there. Yeah, a knee. What is a knee? Anyone ever reflect on that? <laughs> yeah, I can start playing with that. Where does the knee begin? And where does it end? Yeah, if we go up, there's the knee, there's the kneecap. But the knee isn't just the kneecap, right? Like if I go up a little bit, that's still the knee, that's still the knee. When does it stop being the knee? We can start playing with that. What makes up a knee? Yeah, ligaments, cartilage, space, tissue, my idea of a knee, that's in there. Yeah, so we start seeing that something is made up of other things. Yeah, that's part of what fabrication is. There is no independent knee-ness. Yeah, essence of knee that we can just kind of pull out and say, here it is, this is knee, nice to meet you. Yeah. Made up of other things. Similarly with pain. Yeah. What is pain? Talk about it a lot. What is pain? What is it made up of? What is that sensation made up of? Different types of sensation, different types of temperature. Yeah. Usually, again, if we pay attention, we'll see some changeability in there. So it's not constant or consistent. A lot of pain in the body is actually made up of contraction around the pain. Yeah. So our body has this instinct. If there's some tension or some discomfort or some pain, the body contracts around that. Yeah. And as we start being more sensitive, we can start feeling that contraction, sometimes layers and layers and layers of contraction. And again, in some medical research that they've done, they've seen that in some types of chronic pain, some types of chronic pain, 70% of the pain that people are experiencing is actually these layers of contraction. Yeah. Layers of contraction around. Like I said, it's an instinct of the body and the mind to do that. And so then if people learn how to relax these layers of contraction, the pain decreases. 
Yeah, and in some weird way, they've actually managed to measure it 70%. Mystery to me how they do that, but apparently they do. Yeah. So again, it just kind of opens up the possibilities of what makes up experience. And really important to say here, this does not mean pain is not real. Yeah? Or you're making it up. Yeah? That's not what it means. Okay? What it does mean is that something like pain, we're just using it as an, ex- as an example here, is not real in the way we take it to be. That is what it means. Can you see the difference? Does not mean it's not real, but it's not real in the way we take it to be. What way? <laughs> Permanent? Yeah, solid? with an inherent essence. Yeah. It's not real in that way and separate from me. That pain is happening to me, separate from me. Self-sustaining, self-existing. And a real invitation to explore this for yourself. Don't just believe me because I'm sitting up here. I could be anybody. Just walked off. Walked on in, into the guy house, said hello. I'm the teacher, sat up here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so yeah, all joking aside, don't just believe me. Really look in your own experience. Really look in your own experience. So... This is kind of, you know, you may have kind of realized that already. This is pretty deep stuff, yeah. And it's also deeply liberating stuff. But it doesn't mean that we need to kind of get it 100%. Yeah, we can sometimes just feel a resonance with this. Or get kind of, I call it, the, the end of a thread. We just feel like, ah, that's the end of a thread. I can begin following it. I can begin um, unraveling this mystery of being human. Because this kind of understanding, perception, fabrication, it's a thread through the teachings that we can follow. Yeah, And the understanding can deepen as we bring it to our own experience. And it's an understanding that is very practical. Yeah? It's not just theory. It's something that we can apply. Something that we can apply to our experience right here and now. And hopefully, by the end of this talk, you'll have some ideas how. So, let's go back to the knee pain. What happens when I bring interest to the pain? What happens when I bring interest to an experience of tension or pain in the body? Yeah, at least some of the time. Anyone noticed? Had an experience of that? 
Shall I tell you? <laughs> I'm sure you've had it, but there's an invitation to also keep trying. When we bring interest to an experience, even if it is unpleasant, that interest can create some space. Yeah, or in the language that people have shared here, it can create some softening, some opening, some capacity to stay with. And some seeing beyond the particular, yeah, seeing the changeability, the impermanence. Yeah. So when we bring attention to something in experience, that interest can have an effect, can create space, and that space supports the release of some of the contraction, some of the clenching around what we find unpleasant. And within that, the experience of pain can change. Yeah. It can stay unpleasant sometimes, yeah? It can stay unpleasant, but the experience is not so problematic. Yeah. Experience is not so problematic. And again, this is part of the, the wonder and the possibility of our human mind and our human experience. So interest, yeah, which is an attitude of the mind, can have an impact on something like the experience of pain. Yeah, if we go back to the earlier example, looking for what is pleasant in the breath or the body can have an impact on our experience. Yeah, so what we bring, the, the attitude of the mind, yeah, or in Pali we call it citta, which means heart-mind. Yeah, both the mental and the emotional life. Has an impact on perception, has an impact through perception on experience. Okay, you still with me? Yeah. And again, this is something that we know from our daily life. Yeah. Have you ever had something happen to you? <laughs> Yeah, you meet someone or, you know, you walk out the door and it's raining. Um, the same experience, different mind state. Ever happened to you? You're in a good mood, you walk out the door, it's raining. Everything's cool. You know, you're in a bad mood, you walk out the door, it's raining. It's like, oh, damn, you know, or whatever. Same phenomena, different mind state, different experience. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. And it can be, you know, countless things, stubbing the toe, yeah. Meeting someone we, we don't like, meeting someone we do like. Yeah. Mind state impacts the experience. So really helpful to notice that, you know, we may be having a certain experience, we can check, well, what is the mind state? Is there contraction in the mind state or is there ease in the mind state? And is that impacting my experience? And in what way? Yeah, in what way? Remembering that the mind state itself is also conditioned. Yeah, 
Remember I said in the beginning, like there's more and more detail, there's more and more subtlety. So that mind state itself is not independent. That's also conditioned by habit, tendencies, previous event, previous experience, weather, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, countless, countless, countless conditions. And this is, it's, this is wonderful news for us. This is wonderful news for us. The mind state impacts experience. Mind states themselves are conditioned. Therefore, they too are impacted. Yeah. This is where practice comes in. Yeah. This is where practice comes in. We have the capacity to get to know our minds. Yeah. We have to, the capacity to understand how the mind works. We have the capacity to know what our tendencies are and how they affect our experience. Yeah. And we have the capacity to cultivate mind states that bring more well-being yeah, so that they become more um, naturally available to us. Someone once told me, when I said this, yeah, positive habits. They become positive habits of mind. So there's always another way of saying this. Yeah, this is also language that comes from, from Rob, Rob Abea. Another way of saying it, there's always a way of looking present. Yeah? When we are experiencing something, we're always experiencing it through a way of looking, through a certain filter. Yeah, which can be the mind state, very often is. But not only, again, can be our views, our expectations, our previous experience. Yeah. It's affecting what we see, it's affecting what we hear, it's affecting what we feel, it's affecting what we notice. There's always a way of looking present. It's like one image we sometimes use, it's like glasses or lenses that are always there. And through practice, we become more sensitive and aware of these ways of looking, of these chitta states, of what is there and how it's affecting experience. And we increase our capacity to change. Say, ah, this is present. This is here. It's affecting experience in this way. What if I, you know, use this image of the glasses, took these down and took another pair and put them on? What would happen then? And so we play with that, we experiment with that. And we develop and cultivate ways of looking that bring more ease, more space, more well-being to ourselves and to others, yeah, to those that we affect and come into contact with. And as I also said, it's really key here, we increase the flexibility and the pliability of the mind as we do that. The mind becomes more flexible. It has more options, less dependent on habits. So, the immeasurables, remember them? <laughs> Finally, Whew, I've got five minutes left. Joking, I've got all night. <laughs> One of my teachers, and I'll just, you know, 
he uses to, he, he goes on a lot of tangents, so I'll follow his example. One of my teachers always used to tell us, always says this, when I was a monk in Thailand, my teacher used to walk into the Dharma Hall at, you know, 9pm, 10pm, 11pm, we'd be waiting there, all the monks and nuns waiting for him, and he would talk, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that, but just so you know. Somewhere in the world that is happening. So have compassion. Or appreciation, you know, that some Dharma teachers are willing to speak for hours. So the immeasurables. One way of looking at the immeasurables is as ways of looking that we can apply to our experience. These are ways of looking that we can actively bring in. Yeah? Actively bring in, as well as develop and cultivate. We're actively choosing to bring them in, intentionally bringing them in. And we know, again, from our own experience, what happens in our life when we're in a place of friendliness. Yeah? What happens to the sense of resilience? What happens to how we experience others? What happens to how we experience events? If there's a sense of friendliness, of metta, what happens to our experience, to our life, when we're in a place of equanimity, of deep groundedness? Yeah. What happens? How does that affect how impacted we are by events? Yeah, so we can reflect on that. We know, remember we said it yesterday, we know these immeasurables, we know them. How does that affect experience? So remembering that these are attitudes that are really, um, they're a deep nourishment yeah, and a deep support for us to open to life in all, yeah, in all its colors. It's not just about Oh, you know, just need to feel love. We just need to feel compassion. We just need to feel joy. Yeah. But they actually nourish us to open to the complexity of being a human being with all the ups and downs, with all the, the sorrows and the joys. Yeah, the full, fullness of that. And they're a deep strength for us in doing that. And we can use them, we can bring them in intentionally. They kind of strengthen us from deep within. This is stolen from an Indian advertisement for something called Chow and Prash. Some of you may know it. Anyway, strengthen us from deep within. Yeah, resilience. And flexibility without brittleness. Yeah, like bamboo. So we can be moved by life, yeah? We're moved by life, we're within life, we're in life. But we have that rootedness, we have that resilience. We have that strength. And really important with this, you know, to, to really remember with the immeasurables, we don't need to be other than we are. It's not a self-improvement program. Yeah. 
We're not doing this practice so that we become better. Yeah. It's not about becoming the Dalai Lama, as wonderful as it would be if there were more of him. <laughs> yeah. It's not about being him, it's about being ourselves. And opening to that. And using, using our life, using our personality, using our circumstances. That's what we have to work with on this path. This body, this mind, this heart, these tendencies, these habits, this history. You know, we didn't choose any of that. <laughs> Yet here we are, you know, so what do we do with it? Yeah. Didn't choose to be born, didn't choose to be born, you know, in this set of circumstances. And yet here we are, in this life. What do we do with it? There's a great invitation there, and great possibility to engage with who we are, how we are in the moment at this time, and to use that as a, a ground for growth, a yeah, ground for cultivation, to deepen understanding, to nourish well-being for ourselves and for others. So I just want to mention again the, the four Brahma Viharas, the four immeasurables just to kind of drop them in. And we're going to spend a lot of time with them over the next days. This is just like a touch on them. And then just give an example about how they can be applied and how they actually interact and work with each other. So we speak about them as four distinct qualities. They have different flavors, but they're very, very interwoven and interlinked with each other. They're not actually separate. So, metta, yeah, usually translated as loving kindness, this attitude of friendliness and of goodwill and of welcoming towards ourselves, towards each other, towards experience. Yeah. For myself, I usually find the, the word friendliness or, or goodwill, they're really kind of very, very easy to resonate with. We know that experience. Karuna, compassion. So when that sense of friendliness, when that sense of goodwill, of the metta meets suffering, meets pain, meets the difficult, it's that natural movement, that natural movement to attend, to take care. Yeah, It's a movement of the heart, and if we let our bodies, it's a movement of the body. Yeah, We see someone suffering, we reach out. We hurt someone, you know, we stub our, our toe, we reach out. Yeah, it's a very natural movement that we have of compassion to attend to pain, to attend to suffering. Mudita, appreciative or, or unselfish joy, which really for me is like a celebration of the goodness in the world. It's really letting ourselves celebrate what is good, what is wholesome, what is going well. Not just for me, for anybody. 
in anybody. Yeah. So it's not about joy as being mine. It's about joy and well-being being ours. Yeah. So it really opens up that possibility. Anupeka, equanimity. The moment I feel it most strongly as kind of a wide and grounded view. Yeah, having a big view, like when you're standing somewhere and you see really, really far. I've just been trekking recently in Sami land commonly known as Finnish Lapland, but should be called Samiland. And that's kind of the sense you get there when you're somewhere with really big, 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 big views. That's equanimity, yeah. You're really part of it, yeah. But you see really wide, really far, really deep, and very grounded. It's also that quality of flexible stability, like bamboo. Yeah, it's very flexible, very alive, but also very grounded. Very grounded. And all of these, all the immeasurables, they're both really grounded in the understanding of our interconnectedness and our mutuality. And also they really... Um, really open us up as practices to that experientially. Yeah, they're rooted in that. What we share, our interdependent nature. And they're all within us, as I've been saying. The seeds are there. And we're uncovering, we're cultivating, we're nourishing them to grow. You know, that's our practice. And they're very much about intentionality and attitude, yeah, rather than, as I said, being this person or that person. Nourishing the intention, nourishing the attitude. And so I just wanted to give a quick example um, about how we can apply them, how we can work with them. Um, kind of in our practice, on the cushion, on the spot. Yes, this isn't the formal practice, uh, but it's a very useful way. So, say we're on the cushion during a meditation and we're experiencing um, a lot of tiredness, you know, which I think was quite a common experience today for many people. Yeah. Experiencing a lot of tiredness or the other side of the spectrum, we're experiencing um, intense restlessness and mental activity. Yeah, there's two sides of the same thing. Okay. So that is the experience. And for most of us, that experience will be unpleasant. Right? <laughs> most of us, most of the time. Yeah, unpleasant. Some degree of equanimity is present just in the seeing of that experience. Yeah. If we are able to see there's tiredness, there's restlessness, there's agitation, 
there is some degree of equanimity already present, just in that seeing, some degree of space. And if we intentionally bring more equanimity, more groundedness, more wide view in, then that allows us to stay with that experience without pushing it away or trying to reach for something better, which is the way we normally react to unpleasant things. Okay, so kind of bring in the equanimity there, very lightly, even for a moment, yeah, just for a moment, that already shifts the momentum. And it's very much just to say, related, equanimity is very supported by patience. It's something we've been speaking about. Bring in a sense of metta, friendliness or goodwill towards the experience or towards ourselves. And again, this can increase a sense of space. Yeah, release some of that pushing away. Increase a sense of acceptance or even of warmth yeah, within us, which releases some of the struggle and frees up more energy. Yeah? So if we're experiencing tiredness, that can actually release more energy into the body and the being. Does this make sense to people? Yeah, so it's ways we can apply. Compassion. <laughs> Here is suffering, <laughs> yeah? This feels not very nice and I don't like it, <laughs> yeah? I can bring compassion in towards that sense of discomfort. And how does that shift experience? Again, it creates space. Yeah, it gives us some breathing room. And it also brings some intimacy if I can allow myself to feel that, you know, that suffering and that compassion that arises with it. Increases the intimacy, we get closer to the experience, less distance. Bringing in joy and appreciation may seem really strange to say this. Yeah. But I am noticing, I'm aware of this. Can I appreciate that? Can I feel anything in my experience right now that I can appreciate? Can I feel the miracle of breathing? Can I feel the miracle of walking? As a way of generating energy again, generating patience, support. Tuning in to what is going well in experience. Oh, I have noticed. Yeah? I have noticed. That's great. That's great. So these are all kind of very, very quick, simple, small ways to bring in these attitudes. And you don't need to do the four every time. Yeah? If you resonated with any of them, you can just bring that in. What happens if I bring some steadiness? Yeah, what happens if I bring some groundedness? What happens if I bring some friendliness? Right now, 
to this experience? How does that change the sense of space, the sense of possibility? How does that change? So this is something we can play with. Yeah, it's something we can experiment with. Meeting, meeting our experience through this lens or lenses. With as much playfulness, as much creativity as we can. And seeing what happens. Seeing what happens. So let's just have a a quiet moment together. So may our practice together continue to nourish interest, kindness, and playfulness in the way we look and explore life. And may our practice together be for the benefit and the welfare of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.